as speech pathologists, we, we do really get it. We understand the importance of communication and, and social connections. And it's important to learn that how one way of treating or, or working with a, a client isn't necessarily going to be what works for another client in a different state or from a different tribe. If we've got assessment findings that are robust, then we don't have to make any presumptions. And I strongly believe in the value and worth of what we do and the difference we make. Hello, and welcome to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature a conversation about an area or topic related to all things speech pathology. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of Speak Up. I'm Annika Flynn, speech pathologist. With NDIS, many of us now have adolescents and adults with an autism spectrum disorder on our long-term caseload. Many of these clients have short and long-term NDIS goals related to developing their social skills. As such, we need as many evidence-based intervention approaches as we can to develop social skills in this complex population. Video-based modeling intervention is one such approach. I'm super pleased to be joined today by Dr. Abby Theramanicum, lecturer from the School of Allied Health Science and Practice at the University of Adelaide. Thank you for chatting with me today, Abby. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, I know you've just recently completed your PhD. Congratulations. I'm sure that was a truckload of work. I'm so curious to know a little bit about it to get started. Yeah, so in my PhD, I looked at the use of video-based interventions in facilitating conversational turn-taking for adolescents um, on the autism spectrum, but also some, uh, people who had complex communication needs, meaning they required the use of augmentative and alternative communication. Um, and the reason why I chose video-based intervention is it was an up-and-coming um, intervention, particularly, I mean, it was, it was used quite a lot um, in, say, the US. It was a, a popular intervention method, but it was, it was coming up as an intervention strategy here in Australia. And at that point, there was a new review that came out, like evidence-based uh, practices. Uh, a paper came out about what are the different evidence-based practices for autism spectrum disorders and video-based intervention uh, specifically video modeling was stated as one of them and video-based um, video modeling techniques were looked at as being evidence-based for teaching a range of different skills you know academic skills literacy social skills range of different skills and I was particularly interested in finding out whether using something like a you know video um, can facilitate conversational turn-taking for people on the autism spectrum because that was one of the key challenges, often that in, uh, reciprocity with conversation and social interaction was a challenge. Um, so that was my interest. And because I've been, most of my work have been with people with disability, particularly with those who have complex communication needs, I wanted to focus on complex communication needs. So all my participants did not use speech as their primary mode of communication. They, yeah, they all had um, an alternative mode of communication. Most of them used an iPad with the ProLoquo to go. Um, some had different AAC methods, but all of them had like an electronic system with voice output. Um, and I wanted to see if you could, you know, teach them how to take turns during conversational interaction and doing so with the use of video 
clips. Right. So they would watch the video clips before engaging in a conversation. Is that how your research was set up? Correct. So that's exactly right. So we know that video-based modelling systems were efficient um, and effective. So it was not just effective, but it was also quite a, had quick rate of developing um, skills. But there were various types of video-based interventions. So I used video modelling and video self-modelling, the two types that I used to see if, you know, first of all, um, is video-based intervention an effective method for teaching, you know, turn-taking, but also which of it is better. If it is good, then which one is better. And the literature was saying, at that point when I was uh, researching, the literature said that the use of video self-modelling you know, the hypothesis was that it would probably be better because the student or the client was looking at themselves doing something and then will develop a, a competent, like a self-belief that they are able to do it. Like I can see myself doing it, so I'm going to be able to do it. Uh, my findings, however, said, yeah, I mean, I guess as per, I mean, as clinicians, we know that you can't say one size fits all any kind of intervention. So it really depended on the client their preference, their, you know, what their goals were, etc. So for some of them, yes, video self-modeling did work. Um, and for others, video modeling worked. But if you did a comparison, resource-wise, video modeling is probably going to be more um, cost-effective. Mm, well, I suppose you're not putting that time and effort into getting the video done before you use the approach. Is that one of the difficulties? Uh, for bo- So for both... For both, I did use customized videos. So in that, so in the video modeling video clips, the actors, I guess, in the, on the video were peers. So aged and gender matched peers. Um, and they were using an AAC system as well. So, so, so then the client or the participant would watch someone else using an AAC system to have the conversational, like the turns. Uh, whereas for the video self-modeling, the actor was the participants themselves. So in terms of developing the videos, the video with the peer, so the video modeling videos, uh, that was easier to make. Um, the actors were, you know, sp- speakers, so they used uh, oral language and I could just tell them this is the script this is what I'm going to do this is what you're going to do the only thing that took a bit of time is teaching them where the vocabulary set in the AAC system whereas for the um, video self-modeling there was a lot of you know um, telling prompting the participant to choose the right um, I guess the vocab and then there was a lot more editing after that because at the end of it you need to create a video where you edit and it must look like a, a smooth flowing interaction so it did take a lot more time to do the video self-modeling clips versus the video modeling um, but overall both were both were effective but for some participants the video modeling was far more effective and for some the video self-modeling was effective and for Mm. And for some, it neither was. So again, it comes down to characteristics. The individual person, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how I'm just wondering how an average speech pathologist might be able to use this approach in their intervention mm. with somebody that has an autism spectrum disorder and uses AAC. Yeah, yeah. So I guess 
I, I guess if you go back, um, all of us actually use video-based teaching and learning, I guess, because, mm-hmm. you know, we use YouTubes for learning how to, I guess, bake a cake or change a tire or in my case yeah in my case I often even use if if I'm not sure how to do a certain technique or something I might just go back and have a quick you know there's a lot of teaching and learning material and that's the same thing here um there are lots of generic videos um that are available to teach particular skills um so speech pathologists depending on what is the target the goal that they are looking to teach their clients they could you know, perhaps see if there's a video already available. And where would you suggest going for some of that, Abby? Is there certain um, websites or do you just use YouTube clips? What What would you suggest? I, I find a lot on YouTube. Um, the only thing about using something from YouTube is to make sure that the copyright, you know, there's copyright um, associated, so ensuring that we are not infringing on that. Uh, but Creating the video itself, I guess if you're doing, say, a video modeling um, and if you get, um, I guess, if, if you develop, with the, if the speech pathologist could develop a range of videos using video modeling, so not video self-modeling per se, those videos they can repeatedly use. And the other great thing about something like a video-based intervention technique is that you can, u- like, the clinician doesn't have to be, the, you know, in the, in the intervention setting. because the video becomes the intervention. So if the clients have that video, they can watch it as many times as they want anywhere, anytime, as long as they have like a a smartphone or um, video watching tool, like a laptop. Quite useful for telehealth. (laughs) I'm just thinking about the year that we had last year and it sounds like an intervention that actually would have been quite successful using that platform. Absolutely, absolutely. And there are lots of different studies even within um, Australia that, that has looked at, um, that have looked at the use of video-based interventions and in group setting at schools, I'm, you know, I feel like something like this could be used to teach communication partners, you know, facilitating skills to facilitate um, communication interactions um, and has been used for people with and without complex communication needs. So people without, um, the require like people who can use this speech and don't require yeah um but yeah it's quite it's quite useful to teach a lot of different things um studies have looked at teaching people with not just autism but people with intellectual disability on some of the activities of daily living like how to heat food up in the microwave or how to brush your teeth how to tie a shoelace how to use the atm so it could be used for a range of things a lot of the research have focused on children, um, but I can, I, you know, like you can use it with adults, you can use it with um, adolescents, it, just depending on what the goal is and developing the actual video. My, I guess for me, with the, um, my PhD, my videos were no more than five minutes, like they were quite short. They were short videos because the interaction was also short. So, you know, there's another kind of video modeling technique as well, and it's called point of view modeling. You're going to have to explain that. What does What's point of view modeling? Yeah, so point of view modeling is the kind of, I guess, we, you know, if to give an example would be um, if we are watching a cooking video and where somebody is showing how to bake a cake or something, where the, the actual focus of the video is just the, the tools they use. So you don't actually have to see the whole person. You're just using the actual 
tools that you require. So, for example, if you wanted to teach someone how to tie their shoelace, you would just video the shoes, you know, the feet and the, sh- the shoes and their hands tying the shoelace. So, the yeah, the person's not in it and they can just focus on that task. So it's almost like they are doing it. You know, so if they're watching it, it so it's look it's from a first person perspective, whereas the other two is from a third person perspective, where they're watching someone else do it. So again, depending on the skill that we are trying to teach, you you know, the point of view might be more useful than say a video self or video modeling. I guess if I if I were to um video self modeling would be really useful, but like I said, it's not as cost or time um, efficient. So using a video modeling, um, like a video modeling video where you can create these clips and keep it. And then if a person, you know, if you come across one of your clients and they require, you know, they might benefit from video-based intervention, then maybe pulling one of that out of your, um, creating the videos do take time. But once it's created, you can use it as many times as you want. So it sounds like putting a bit of time into getting a library of different videos together, isn't it? And it sounds like, yeah, initially it takes a bit of time and effort to do that. What sort of equipment, if, if we were to put some videos together for ourselves, what sort of equipment would we need to do that? Um, I, so video recording, so any kind of camera tool. So you could use um, just if you have a, a smartphone with a camera phone, you could use a, the camera from that to just video anything. And then you need to have an editing tool, particularly if you want to edit out the prompts or any um, distractors that comes in, that would be uh, important. And I think most, just most video phones, the, the new ones, have editing facilities. Like you can cut things out. The only downside to those kind of tools, these readily available ones, is you can usually cut out things right at the start or right at the end. You can't really do the middle and stick them back together. Um, so maybe having an editing tool. So for my PhD, I just used a, um, a Sony Handycam, one of those camcorders, and that came just came with a uh, you know one of those CD ROMs where you have all these different things. It came with a generic um, editing software from that, and I just used that. So having having a way to edit, particularly if you want to edit the edit things in the middle and then stitch them back together, you would need something more than just your camera phone. Um, editing tool, but videoing it, just the camera. Now, you don't need actors, though. I'm assuming I know you mentioned actors before. Are you using yourself? Can you use yourself? Is it better not to? What What's the kind of thoughts about that? Um, yes, we can. We can use anyone as actors. Um, the, the whole idea behind the theoretical framework behind video-based intervention is the social learning theory, where watching someone do something is going to... Uh, help you learn right watching it and watching but the consequence watching the action but also the consequence of the action is going to help us learn in a social context that is so if and I guess one of the things that was in relation to video-based intervention is that the closer the actor or the person on the video uh, resembles the learner the better the outcome will be right and so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to see video self-modeling because in video self-modeling, the actor would look exactly like the learner. But the actor in the video modeling, so the other one, was just another child, so not exactly the same. I guess there's still some resemblance because um, the adolescent in the uh, video modeling 
videos and the adolescent in the, the actual client, the actual participants, they were age and gender matched anyway. So they were very similar. I guess if I did another study looking at adults as actors versus and, and the learner being an adolescent or a child and see if that would make a difference, I'm thinking maybe the 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 closely resembling actor would probably have a better outcome, but I guess it doesn't it, it the significance would not be too much. I guess for um, in clinical practice, I guess it's okay to use an adult, so you can use yourself to video. But if you can find a ch like an age match, like similar aged person. Uh, to act out on the video probably will be better. Yeah, yeah. But I guess you're right. In real-life clinical practice, it's whoever you can get at the end of the day and and hopefully that is effective for that person that you work with. And I guess also if you're building up your library of different videos, it does become quite tricky to make sure that that person resembles who you're going to use that video with. And um, I guess that becomes just a slight constraint but still doesn't mean it's not effective though. Correct. And I guess the other thing is if you're videoing, um, I was going to say, for example, if, 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 you, if your client, you know, and if you feel like your client would benefit from video-based intervention and you want to record something, you can, if they have siblings or their cousins, their friends, you could record them. The only trouble is if you're going to reuse the video, like if you're going to create a library and you can reuse the video, then it becomes a bit tricky because Again, then you have to get consent to say that I would be using it. So in that case, so I guess in terms of practicality for clinical practice, having adults is not a bad idea. Like, you know, using yourself or your fellow clinicians, so it's not a bad idea. Um, yeah, but the idea behind this is if the actor resembles the learner, um, the outcome is going to be better. Yes, that's, that's yeah. the theory. That's behind the ideal. Yeah, <laughs> that is the ideal. Yeah, I guess just going back to one of the things as well is how effective, right? Like you know, in terms, I I spoke about the effectiveness, and for some it worked really well, for some it didn't, um, and we touched a little bit on the client and the person and their personality and their interests and their strengths, and you know that's really important to emphasize. I guess, yeah. Mm, yeah, absolutely. That all our people that we work with are individual, and sometimes best laid plans and best evidence based approach still may not quite work for that person. And it's about that clinical flexibility that we have that this is an option that you give it a good go, but you're also aware of other approaches that might fit that person a little bit better. Um, so, just before we finish, is there any other tips that you might have to make this approach workable for clinicians? I know we've chatted about the equipment and some other considerations. Is there anything else? Yeah. So, um, and what, I think I'm just going back to the 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 client itself as a consideration. Is that sometimes uh, I guess with people with on the spectrum, using something that has got visual prompts like video-based intervention was good because it's it's visual and for most individuals um, on the autism spectrum they have a strength in visual processing processing but that having said that it's not like everybody will prefer that kind of learning some people may not and on the other side they may but they may be so interested or preoccupied or obsessed with technology and it's still not going to work so it really there needs to be a good balance and I remember with uh, one of the things that I brought up from my um, PhD was that, you know, all my participants really enjoyed or were not averse to technology, 
but some of them were very much very much preoccupied by the technology that they were more interested in watching themselves than actually watching the actual action so just yeah so yeah so for some people the self modeling would be perfect but for someone who's going to be more obsessed or preoccupied maybe the non self yeah yeah it makes yeah. it a bit hard to achieve your goals doesn't it mm. Um, Thank you so much for your great work, Abby. This is just really, really interesting. And it's just so great that we have some really good, amazing speeches in Australia that are adding to the evidence base for different intervention approaches. That's been awesome. Um, I'm going to go away and Google YouTube to learn how to make some lemonade scones. So (laughs) (laughs) that's good. There you go. I'm sure it will be very effective. And um, I really, really appreciate you um, spending some time to chat, Abby. Thank you. No, I just, I guess just before going, I just wanted to say making intervention strategies as accessible as possible um, for people is very important. So if we can find ways of, I mean, once a week therapy is not going to make much of difference for any skill development. So I think finding ways of making sure that intervention strategies can be accessible is really important. And I guess we are very lucky now we have technology. And so if we can harness technology and any kind of, you know, generic you know daily technologies and we can use them to teach video video intervention is one of them absolutely well said thank you abby and thank you so much to everyone for listening we will be back in your ears again next wednesday we hope you enjoyed this week's conversation remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues thank you for listening and bye for now